1: What is up? Two CW pods in one week. You guys love it? hope so. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun here. And a really fascinating podcast coming your way today. It is. I learned so much in this hour-long conversation with my dear and longtime friend, John Miller. We do not talk sports. We do not talk Hawkeyes. We talk about John's other passion, which is energy. Energy. And uh, the current crisis going on right now not only in the United States, but in the world. And uh, we lean on John about gas prices, what's to come, what can you plan on, what can be done. It's very fascinating, and I, you get to see a whole different side of John as well. So I think that everybody, uh, it doesn't matter, male, female, what age you are, uh, gas prices impact all of us. And John is an expert in this field, and I will pick his brain here for the next hour on All of this, of course, the CW pod is presented by our corporate sponsor, Mechdyne, was founded by some pals of mine, Iowa State graduates back in the year 1996. It's now an international company. They've got businesses ranging from virtual reality, automotive design, IT services, security technology. If you would like an interesting career with a lot of opportunity, I would encourage you to go to com and go to the career page, marketing. They have business um, or they have uh, desk jobs in the uh, city of Marshalltown. This is really good stuff. Go to mechtyne.com, a phenomenal company. And um, I'm sure that they will, uh, today's podcast will be interesting to those guys as well, uh, being their global stage, uh, the company of mechtyne. So let's get into it. This is. Um, it's it's a heavy topic, but John does a really good way of dumbing it down for idiots like me. I learned a lot. I hope you guys can too. Uh, here we are, uh, my conversation with uh, dear friend John Miller on gas prices. How in the world will we get to where we are today? Well, if you go around anywhere right now, the the hot everybody's talking about gas prices. People are mad. People are uh, pointing fingers, and I'm fascinated by this um, just because I know how many layers are to it, but I don't really fully understand it, so I wanted to bring in one of my really good friends who actually knows this stuff, and he's not just feeding us crap because this is what he does every day, and you all know him uh, from being the old uh, Hawkeye jerk. I'm kidding. He's not a jerk. There's nothing <laughs> jerky about John Miller. Hello, brother. How are you? Welcome back to the uh, podcast.
0: Oh, I'm really good. It's been a long time since I've been here, but yeah, I mean, I, it's okay. I was a Hawkeye jerk. i
1: played that <laughs> character. It's okay. I played it well. <laughs> well, okay. So let's just get, dig into it. I don't think people realize like you're in energy. Explain to everybody listening what you do on a daily basis and why you're a good guest for this topic. Um. So in
0: 1996, um, I had been out of college a couple of years and I'd went to call, I'd gone to college to be a broadcaster, sports broadcaster. And, um, I just was working for an NBC affiliate at the time interning actually. And I looked around, I'm like, man, I don't know that I want to be the local sports guy, the local Keith Murphy, because there's just certain sacrifices I was unwilling to make for my future self. And I got out of it and I was like, what am I going to do? I was playing slope and softball guy owned a tractor company. He's like, Hey, I need a manager. Okay. I'm 23. I'll be your manager. Did that for two years. And the on I, I didn't realize at the time, but I was an entrepreneur and the, the sense I had was my name's ne- it's never going to be Miller's outdoor power. It's going to always be this guy's name, outdoor power. So I was going to Kansas city. I was living in Peoria at the time, going to Kansas city to meet a friend. My dad's like, Hey, why don't you stop in and talk to my buddy that I buy propane from I'm like, why would I want to do that? Dad? He's like, I don't know. You never know. So I did that. Four months later, I go work wholesaling propane. Um, and that was 1996. Um, kind of had given up on my TV dreams and radio dreams and I real, was in the energy business real, real wholesaling quick, propane. From, yeah, was that
1: old Fox like cartoon show King of the Hill? Didn't that guy sell propane? Right. Right. About. Yeah. He's the same <laughs> All right. I just checked. Uh, what, I haven't thought a, about that guy. A, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> All right, well, so that's the only two people in my life. You're talking to me about (laughs)
0: propane and propane accessories? All
1: right, sorry. I I started to
0: steal propane right about the time freaking Hank Hill comes around. (laughs) I love it.
1: That's amazing.
0: So so I, I, I sold to the Hank Hills of the world. Hank's a propane retailer. I'm a propane wholesaler. Did that from 96 to 03. Went through a crazy low crude oil price environment in 1999. Telling all my customers back then, you need to buy for as many years out as you can, because this is an outlier bubble. So I basically started, got my toes wet in the energy industry in 1996. And propane is a derivative of natural gas refining, for lack of a better term, and oil refining. Propane doesn't happen naturally in the wild. It is, you know, through the fractionation process and refining process at certain temperatures, different liquids basically pop out like your old high school physics class uh, when you're, you know, doing some things like that. So propane is a byproduct of refining process as is butane, as are pentanes, um, as are other liquids. Natural gas does exist in the wild, crude oil does exist in the wild, but those are the two main things. So, Propane um, is what I had gotten into and really enjoyed it. And then, you know, the late nineties came around. I started to kind of moonlight and do some Miller time newsletter on Hawkeye stuff. Everybody knows the Hawkeye story, Mm -hmm. but I got out of energy relative to it being a source of income in 2003, shortly after Enron crash, because a lot of small to mid-sized energy companies went down when Enron went down. But from 2003 until I got back into it in 2013, I had Google alerts set up. I was following and reading about crude oil every day. It's just something that doesn't leave you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fascinating industry. And I knew that when I left it, I was probably leaving a more easier financial future for myself, but I had to go chase my broadcasting dreams. Don't regret it. That helped set me up for when I got back into energy in 2013, um, which I, you know, shared that story actually on a, on old man strength podcast I've done recently. I, you know, I was in some financial straits and really needed to get a, <laughs> a real job. <laughs> as I said at Understood. the time yeah. and I let, I, and I, and, and I just, I left radio and left uh, and really dialed back on the Hawkeye stuff and got back into wholesaling propane. Same thing I was doing when I left in 2003 and I play a role. I, I sell my ultimate end goal was to sell propane to retailers as much as I could but I approach it from a standpoint of I'm your consultant. Yeah. You know that I want to sell you gas. That's how I make money or sell you uh, financial options that, that hedge your upside and downside risks relative to your exposure, do all those things. But I came back in and started a blog when I was in the, when I got back into propane in 2013 called the propane buzz. And I started sending it out to people that I would one day call in a few months so that when I cold called them, it wasn't a cold call. It was a warm yeah. call yep. because they, they already, they already knew me. Mm-hmm. So I was just tapping into the things that you and I do on Twitter and yeah. the, the, the subconscious value of celebrity. And I became a consultant and I guess I don't, I mean, you know, a lowercase e expert. What's an expert. I guess maybe an expert, somebody who spent their 10,000 their 20,000 hours in a field and has made some pretty good calls and really knows how things work together uh, to impact future prices. So that's what I've been doing in the 2018. I started my own energy company. I've got two partners, We've got our own propane terminal. I'm sitting here talking to you outside of St. Louis near our, our first ever proprietary terminal. And my company, we wholesale propane. We offer hedging services in propane and refined fuels, refined fuels, meaning diesel and diesel. My friends, is at the heart of what we're going to be talking about today because if there if the United States economy
1: was a living organism and it had a blood, diesel is its blood. Yeah, I actually so, have, I have friends I in trucking it? who have talked to me about this, about all the trucking companies that are going under and stuff mm-hmm. right now just because they can't afford to stay on the roads and how terrifying that is for our country right now. If if, if we they ever either, did-
0: they either go under or you pay for it.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. And, and that's what inflation is, right? Cause everything's, everybody's just passing the cost on onto one another real quick. So I, I deliberately am coming into this as a dummy cause I want to yeah. play the role of our audience. And, and I really want to shut up and learn today. There are people right now, including what, cause when I think of propane, I think of the little tanks that I buy for my grill. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How is that connected to gas prices and oil? Like, It's all in the same ecosystem. Mike, how are, how are those things connected?
0: Right. So my, my grasp and understanding of the larger energy complex being someone that mostly sells propane. We also sell butanes and we sell some crude, we sell some other products, but it's mostly propane. The price of propane is impacted by the price of crude oil. Uh, Propane typically trades between 45 and 60% the value of crude oil. So I am, always every uh, single day of my okay. of my life for the past since t- since since 2013 and most of my days since 1996 I'm looking at what is causing crude oil or what could cause crude oil to go up or down because that's going to impact the price of propane parallel up or down so I try to help my customers my clients stay ahead of future, upside risks or downside risks by recommending them so, doing something today to hedge
1: against that. So you were, I'm, I'm guessing, you're a pretty worldly guy, but you were probably really keeping an eye on Putin and Ukraine and all that stuff before it was happening. Oh, yeah. Like that's a really big Absolutely. deal in your world.
0: Absolutely. You know, preparing <laughs> to talk to you today, I was going back through some of the tweets I have sent out on a Hawkeye podcast because when 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 things that I do in the energy world become like, front page news in everyone's lives. I try to weigh in given the experience I have, maybe shed light on a few misconceptions I see out there. November 5th of 2021, I had a big string as far as uh, the the problem that I saw coming. And my last tweet in that thread said this, the energy prices are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And this was before Putin invaded Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Putin invading Ukraine is the nitroglycerin being added to an already hot burning flame. Um, and this thing has many, many layers really to fully grasp and understand why we are where we are and how we might get out of this. You have to kind of go back to about 2009 to really begin to lay the foundation for where we are today.
1: Okay. Um, because so it's, (laughs) this isn't just blame Joe Biden then like this is there's more to it because I'm thinking 2009. Oh, Oh Yeah. Man, I'm trying to think. So 2009 is right after the last reset, like the, you know, the near depression, this is the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. We're just mm-hmm. getting out of that. What happened in 2009 to start all of this?
0: So to, 2009, it really is kind of the dawn of what I refer to and others refer to as the shale revolution. All right. Shit, um, there is gas, uh, both in liquid form and and, and vapor form, that is trapped in rock formations beneath the surface of the earth, in shale. For a number of years, we've known this. Geologists know this. But we didn't have the technology to extract that gas in the rock and get it out and bring it to market. Well, until we did and we figured out the technology um, that involves fracking. Um, that involves, you know, at that time, injecting a lot of water down in at high pressures into the rock, which pushes the gas out. Now they're using other substances as well, because we don't want Oklahoma to basically earthquake itself out of existence. And I lived there during some of those quakes anyway. So boom, you have this huge United States oil production vehicle that comes to market between from 2009 to 2015. All right. Just As I'm talking about this, keep in mind who is the president, all right, because I'm going to basically underscore that a lot of this presidential uh, plaudits and presidential blame are bullcrap, all right? Mm. Presidents can have an impact, and I will also underscore when they do. But 2015, 2009, 2015, the United States oil and gas production doubles. We're now the largest producer of oil and gas in the world, more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. Russia's number two. Um, and in 2015, at this point in time, a decades old ban on the United States exporting its oil and gas is lifted. That, that ban went into place 1976, 1977, during the last major oil global crisis. Um, the ban was lifted in 2015 under President Obama, okay? So now you've got U.S. as this big player. Uh, you have that ban lifted. Um, the United States basically becomes energy export import neutral. A lot of people want to throw out, well, the United States was energy independent when so-and-so was in office, but we need to get back to that. We were never energy independent. We were export import neutral. That's different than being independent. Well, John, what do you mean? Being independent would mean that we don't have to import heavy, sour, sulfur-laden crude oil from Canada or Venezuela or Russia or other countries that have that natural resource within their borders. We do need to do that. The United States refinery complex for crude oil, for gasoline, really prefers to have heavy crude. The United States, we're very rich in resources relative to light, sweet crude don't taste it. It's not sweet. It's just what they say. We don't, we, we don't naturally have the heavy sour stuff here. So we were never going to be energy independent. We were export import neutral. Does that make sense, Chris?
1: Yes. The energy, the yeah. neutral thing. Yeah, okay. It okay. absolutely does. So, so real yeah. quick, I when I remember like in yeah. my life, when I, it was like, Holy crap, gas prices are really high. That was when I was mm-hmm. in college. It, they got, they got up to like, I want to say like three fifty a gallon. We were flirting with four. I don't think we ever got to, maybe it was, was this like,
0: Oh, eight, Oh nine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would okay. have been right around there. And then it was, so I, I just real quick. So I'm guessing that the United States at that point said, we got to do something on this. So we're going to try and become as independent as possible, which leads us into the point in time that you're talking about. Is that, <laughs> is that accurate? Kind of. I mean, the United States is not a cartel. OPEC
0: is a cartel. OPEC makes decisions. The OPEC nations make decisions that can best uh, line their pockets with cash. So to say that the United States decided the price of oil was going up because consumption and global demand was going up and energy producers who are in the business to make money. In a capitalistic society, they said, Hey, um, you know, l- let's keep ramping up our research and development on how to get this extra gas that we know exists in the shale formations. Let's get that out because we can make a ton of money. It's a profit motive. Um, rising oil prices typically and historically almost always, we'll talk about that too, brings about invention and innovation. And it did there. You had a drastic rise in price. WTI, which is stands for West Texas Intermediate, and it's the base price, how United States oil is traded. Brent crude is how the rest of the world has their pricing benchmark. WTI prices were $145 a barrel in roughly 2008 and leading up to that before then. You get that type of high price environment. You get a lot of uh, research and development dollars from these energy companies devoted to new tech. They found it. They found an answer,
1: and boom! That's how we had that explosion. Hmm. Okay, so we here we are in. I think you're at. You got to like 2015, 2016. So so I'm
0: up to 20. Yeah, I'm up to about
1: 2015, Chris. Yeah, 2015. But
0: 2014, an interesting thing happened. OPEC and Russia saw what was happening in the United States shale industry. They did not like it. They, I mean, the United States imported a lot of gas from, uh, OPEC, namely Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was seeing less imports going to the United States. That's not good for them. And the United States, again, is not governed by a cartel. Uh, the Saudis were like, you know, they can't expect the United States private energy companies to all get together and say, Hey, let's limit our production. Because in our country, we call that collusion. Mm. It's illegal. So, OPEC and Russia don't like the United States becoming the largest producer in the world, so they decide to play some games. In 2014, they made a decision to drastically curtail the amount of oil that they supplied to global markets. Even though they had it, they said, we're going to cut back on this they cut back on this in order to drive United States shale companies out of business to bankrupt them because shale companies had a pretty high break even point or a number of them did. And they said, we're going to bust you. We can handle a couple of years of a lower price environment on our oil because we've been planning for this. So 2015, 2016, you see crude oil values absolutely plummet in the United States. They dropped 44%. Um, from the fall of 2014 to the last day of 14. on um, about the 20th of January of 2016, WTI crude um, closed at twenty dollars and65 cents a barrel and it had been, as we were just talking, you know over a hundred back in 2008 and of course there was a crash and it had risen you know uh, over a hundred and four dollars a barrel prior to the Saudis playing that game in 2014. So it was in early January of 2016, I told every one of my clients, you need to buy as much propane as you can and, or fix a price on as much propane as you can, as far out as you can. This is an historic low price outlier number of my guys did that at that time. Um, there are very few instances where, you know, that you're going to be right. And this was one of those. So, and another, an interesting thing also happens, um, at this point in time. US shale companies didn't go bankrupt. Some of them did, but they became more innovative. They had to, they had to, to survive. So they figured out ways to extract more gas out of their existing wells, which meant less capex capital expenditures. And they survived. OPEC and Russia wound up cutting off their own noses to spite their faces. And they gave up on that. And basically Chris, now we're going to go to the period of 2016 to 2018, where things were fairly well in order in the world.
1: Okay. Because I was getting ready to jump straight to the pandemic, which I think is fascinating. I, and I feel like people- it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Okay. <laughs> you, well, if you, you if you, you want to jump to that, well, that's you, where me, I was going the gap Then, Yeah. You fill in the gap because I got a lot of pandemic questions when it comes to this. Yeah. 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 So, so we'll do that. So again, I, I want to underscore we
0: had president, um, you know, George W. Bush in no we had Obama from 09 to 20 to whenever he, whatever, whatever was 16. I can't Cause remember that's what the numbers. Trump, so yeah. Trump, right. Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was probably before then. Um, and then we have president Trump now. So we've got multiple, uh, presidents, different political parties in office. All right. Um, and when the Democrats were in office, we happen to have the most production we've ever had, and we went and doubled our production again. I'm not saying that because I'm giving Democrats credit. I'm just telling y'all that this we need this party in office or we need that party in office isn't always the case. But we'll definitely hit on some party politics for a long. Presidents can have an impact, and I'm going to show you how right now. Let's get to fall of 2018. We're talking September, early September. Midterm elections are approaching. Donald Trump is president of the United States. Oil values are pushing now once again towards their highest levels since we've seen since 2014. They're in the mid to upper 70s. Late September, President Trump makes a secret deal with um, the Saudis and Vladimir Putin, who basically, for all intents and purposes, controls Gazprom, one of the largest oil producers in Russia. He wanted them to increase supply to the world, to make sure supplies weren't disrupted. This was purely and politically motivated. He's not the first person to do it. Our sitting president's doing that right now, which we'll talk about in a minute. So again, don't get your don't get your political hackles up. WTI price was seventy six dollars on October the third of two thousand eighteen, a day that I sold one of my customers one million gallons of crude oil swap, uh, swaps and crude oil swaps. And then, of course, by the end of the year, crude oil was forty five dollars. That guy lost some money on that bad time and down forty five percent. Okay. Mm. Um now there are those who assert now that President Trump was a great friend and great ally to oil and gas. Um he was a great friend and ally to retaining power as all politicians are. This was a move that absolutely slammed the oil and gas industry. Uh it was ruinous economically and it was basically
1: done to win midterm elections. Yeah. Um so, so was, US production Yeah, good go politically because he can point and say, look at how low these gas prices are. Yeah, look what I did.
0: I lowered gas prices. Look what I did. Like you see those little Joe Biden stickers. Now some people slap on pumps. I did that. It's just, it's so effing stupid. I don't even know where to start. But anyway, the same thing as if Trump, you put one on Trump when gas prices were going down. I did that. No, you didn't. I mean, it's just these, these things are all, so you could, so President Trump did have an impact with the secret deal that he negotiated with the Saudis and and Russians because the market saw, oh, Russia and OPEC are going to give all this gas to the marketplace. So, okay, yeah, so prices do fall. So I guess you could say Trump did that, but it destroyed. It destroyed significant segments of the energy industry, which is going to come back to haunt this country here as we work through this timeline. All right, so U.S. oil and production, U.S. gas and oil production begins to drop. And there is a parallel, a historically parallel relationship. Of a lowering of crude oil prices means a lowering of gas and oil rigs in active work, bringing gas and oil out of the ground. The inverse is also true. A rising price market typically and historically has always led, except for now, to a rise in more gas and oil rigs extracting oil from the market. So. In 2018, 2019, oil traded in the 10 to $15 range for much of the next year, peaking around $63 on January the 6th, 2020. And about this time, the world began to hear about COVID-19, the coronavirus. So we are, Chris, to the point that you've been waiting for, So coronavirus.
1: this is the one thing that I feel like is just kind of like in the current conversations that I have with people, we... We kind of forget, like, and and it's different. So, like, I I talk with my friends in, like, rural Iowa where their lives didn't really change nearly as much because, and Mm -hmm. there's a great book. um, Fareed Zakaria wrote it, um, 10 Lessons in a Post-Pandemic World that we will all, like, learn. And and one of the points that he makes in it, John, is that in, in rural areas of the country, a lot of these, like, these people were, they were unable to work from home. Like you can't work from home if you mm-hmm. work in a factory. The you know the hogs still need fed if you're a farmer. Like right, you can't just stop driving. Well, I can assure you that driving down 235 in Des Moines during that time was like a ghost city. Like there was, mm-hmm. I mean, you saw some truckers out, but it, it was. I still had to go in because we were deemed like essential employees or whatever when you when you're on. <laughs> which is hilarious, (laughs) especially during a blizzard. So Ross Peterson and I going in and talking about the tiger King were essential uh, according to the government during that time. But like, my point is though, gas gets down to like a dollar a gallon or whatever it was. I mean, nearing that area, the lowest that I had seen in my adult lifetime. Right. But it was simply supply and demand, right? Like nobody was out driving. And I, I remember reading about, like w- this one guy was preaching like a great investment at the time was to um the, you can you can invest in like barrels of oil that are sitting off of the the shores like that they're on like boats or like because point being like we have all this oil and people aren't using it so there's got to be a place to store it during this time because nobody was driving um right. and and I mean it, that so that causes the price of oil to greatly diminish at this point in time am i understanding this correctly no no doubt about it. the the decision um made
0: on march the 16th of 2020 15 days to slow the spread going to do a 15 day lockdown so we can slow this spread stamp it out um when the markets open back up on the 18th of March. I think the 18th was a Monday. The 16th was a Friday. WTI values were just above $20 a barrel as low as they had been since 1999, which I previously mentioned was another time where I told all my clients to buy as much as you can on April 20th after 15 days, or so the spread had extended beyond 15 days and we were getting in full month long lockdown mode with no end in sight. So April the 20th of 2020, the expiring crude oil contract that day traded negative, negative $37 for the first time in history. The lockdowns that the United States did and the world did was the single biggest demand destruction event of all time, meaning crude oil demand, destroyed it. Um, Oil and and gas rig counts cratered right along with the price. Uh, as many rigs that could be shut in were shut in, shut down. It was unbelievable what happened. And the oil companies were getting killed. This is on the heels of the oil companies getting killed in 2018 due to the secret deal that President Trump did with the Saudis and Russia at that point in time. And I'm not sitting here telling anybody to cry uh, a river for oil companies. Oil companies have been the benefit beneficiary of subsidies for a long time still are i'm just telling you to answer your questions how we're getting to where we're getting and also at this time chris um president trump um through the cares act um that i think was mostly bipartisan uh, approved because we were dealing with a novel virus the world had never seen it this time they passed the cares act the three trillion dollar money printer brr, uh printing of money that took place at that point in time so starting to add more kindling to this future fire that we're seeing. Now, fall of 2020, Joe Biden wins the White House in a free and fair election. Democrats have control of the House. The green agenda, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the green agenda threats that were just talking points for a while were no longer talking points. And I spoke to a number of players in my industry, people that work for production companies, January and February of 2021, shortly after Joe Biden had been sworn into office. And based on those conversations, I began telling my clients in February of 21, that the energy producers were not going to be making significant expenditures in oil and gas production due to the messaging they were hearing from elected officials, um, the, the the green agenda, for lack of better term. And instead they were going to pay down their debts that they'd been incurring during these bloody times I just mentioned, um, and shoring up their balance sheets. Wall Street was basically demanding that these oil companies do that. They were down getting them because they were taking on so much blood from the previous years. And they had heard a consistent warning from some left leaning politicians that we're going to phase out your dirty energy. We will not need your fossil fuels anymore. You are a relic of the past. And these energy uh, producers took those warnings to heart. They believe them. They believe these politicians. So we have that backdrop. Demand begins to increase due to the success of the vaccination program. People or people just saying, you know, I'm not getting vaccinated. that I'm going out, I'll take my risks, whatever. Demand starts to return in 2021, and certainly right now demand is back to pre-pandemic levels. Oil and rig counts are just back to pre-pandemic levels, but there is a significant disconnect between the price of WTI crude and oil and rig counts because energy companies are still not doing it because they don't want to go out and they don't want to make an investment that in five years from now these yeah. politicians are going to say sorry we don't need you anymore again there was some uh, politician i saw this week uh i can't remember what her name is but the the cnn host asked them wait a second you're asking these energy companies to come right now and go spend money that in five years you're going to tell me you don't want well yeah we have to be responsible for the future but we need this right now it doesn't work that way lady it doesn't <laughs> work that uh, way that's what right? i've right?
1: written down here because like We we have plenty of crude. We need refined oil, right? So like that's it. That's that's exactly it. So why would we exactly it? Why would these companies create more refineries, which is what we need in this country, only to in five years where, you know, just throwing that fifty percent of people are driving EVs. That's from an energy standpoint. That's where they're at. Right. Two two things there.
0: One thing I do want to point out in fairness. Um, Joe Biden, uh, he implemented a nearly $2 trillion surplus shortly after he got elected relative to COVID relief. So again, money printer, money printer, inflation is going to be a problem that we were going to have to deal with already in the backdrop, not counting the catastrophe that we're having in energy to come. So, yes. So, um, the, the last thing that we were just talking about there, um, was the refining. Okay so refining i'm going to get to that here in a second okay i've got it down let's get now chris let's get to russia invade ukraine oh, okay right? yeah. we've already we've already we've already got this backdrop of inflation uh, an inflation problem that every ec- economist knows we're going to, have to deal with we already have rising energy prices because american production companies are choosing not to invest in new production the way they historically have in a rising crude oil price uh, environment because politicians are telling them we don't want you. All right. So we have tight global supply. And then Vladimir Putin goes um uh insane and he invades Ukraine okay as I said before we're talking nitroglycerin level economic destruction accelerant um you can then get the Western sanctions on the Russian Ural, Russian Ural is the Russian grade of propane. Uh, Europe, by the way, gets roughly one third of its gas and oil from Russia, and did also during World War II. Um, U.S. is, you know, helping to lead these sanctions, and Europe's like, "Hey, we'll wean, we'll try to wean off of Russia as much as we can, but we're going to need gas from elsewhere." Well, the United States is now currently exporting as much gas and oil to, to the Europe as it ever has in history. Remember the 2015 mm-hmm. uh, repealing of the export ban on United States uh, gas and oil, right? Coming back to roost right here. This is actually a, a, an attack vector where I, a politician, I would go after is, is, is this. We stop exporting the oil and gas to Europe. Europe will be left toothless. They'll have to come back to Russia hat in hand, which means your sanctions aren't effective. So President Biden certainly being the one leading um, these sanctions for all intents and purposes, I don't think that he can basically uh, push for politicians to cancel the, um, the ability to export. The underlying thing here is energy is the economy. Energy has been, still is, the United States economy, the price of energy is in everything we do. Now we're at uh, refining Chris, what you were just talking about inventory levels for diesel or middle distillates, same thing, essentially are at, um, exponential levels below the low point of the five-year inventory range. We have 20 to 25% less diesel now than we had one year ago, and our demand as a country for energy is back to highs we had before the pandemic. This diesel price is the biggest factor right now in the runaway inflation that we're seeing in all of our goods and services. Everything we eat, everything we consume, every good we buy, those things are brought to the grocery stores and to Walmart and Target or everywhere else you shop in trucks who use diesel fuel. That is why inflation is so much more out of control than, um, than the government thought was going to happen. It was already going to go up because of all the money printing we've been doing. Mm-hmm. And, and now, Chris, as we talked about, you have politicians coming out saying, we need more refining, we need more refining, we need more refining. Well, there was only one refinery of any note built in this country since the late 1970s Um, and that was like in 2019. Why is that John politics, the the refining, the, the age and condition of the American refining infrastructure is horrible, it's horrible. And you've also had some that have had to close. You had the uh, Sun Refinery explosion outside of Philadelphia within the last two years. That was a huge Eastern Seaboard Refinery where so much capacity was taken off the market and not replaced because you can't go out and just build new refineries in this country because it's a political football, um, for sure. So you have these politicians say, well, we need to refine more. The refining capacity we have is finite. You can't just go make a pop-up refinery in two months either. It takes years, two, three, four years to do this. So again, you're asking energy companies right now to go and make investments in infrastructure that won't come to the market for years and will not solve this problem that we have. They will not. But you're asking them to do that while still saying you're going to put them out of business. It doesn't work that way in a capitalistic environment where the state doesn't own the, uh, the resources. So Chris refining capacity, we're at nearly 100% in this country. Are there a few mothballed refineries that maybe can get spun back up and put out a couple hundred thousand barrels a day? Sure. Is that going to amount to much of anything?
1: No, it is not. All right. I have like five questions off of that. So it feels like we're in a little bit of a culture war with this too, because you have, well, the, the pandemic changed everything. The work from home society, like, right. Like it, you and I are doing this on mm-hmm. zoom. We would have probably never done this podcast the way that we're doing it. Had the pandemic not hit maybe, maybe eventually, mm-hmm. but I don't think we would here in summer of 2020, everything changed.
0: I was recording podcasts
1: on zoom before the pandemic, but I'm yeah. always ahead of the yeah, curve. You're, you're all, right. You're I'm the old man here <laughs> when it comes to the technology. Um, so if I'm Joe Biden, he can't get reelected if gas prices are five six dollars. It's just it just won't happen. Mm-hmm. But he also has this growing base of, uh, you know, the more progressive base of the Democratic Party that is pushing towards "quote unquote" renewable energy, right? The Green New Deal. We heard so much about that with AOC right. and and her. And her pals in, in the house the squad, the squad. There you go. I knew there was a name. Uh, this seems like quite the predicament here that, and I, it abs- it, yeah, you know, like, cause I, what I'm saying is like, we, this country, as you've said, well, you know, the lifeblood of this country is diesel. We can't have $10 a gallon diesel because we're all going to go broke. But we also it it does feel like need to keep pushing towards these you know new technologies and what climate change all that stuff. I mean, are we just screwed for a while? I guess. Kind Mm -hmm. of what people are asking: Are are we just screwed?
0: We are. We've done it to ourselves. Um, You know, is 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 President is President Biden to blame? Yes. Is President Trump to blame? Yes. Is President Bush to blame? Yes. Is uh, is President Obama to blame? Yes and no for each of them, but they are to blame. They all had a part in this in some ways with moves that they made. Some of those moves, not seeing the consequence down the road. So are we screwed right now? Yes. What can be done? Maybe it's a better way yeah, there you go. to maybe talk about it. What can be done? I'm not like put, I'm not. Yeah. Right. Um, the first, the first thing we can do should be done is repeal the Jones act. It is a 1920 piece of legislation that specifies that ships carrying cargo between two American ports must first be built in the United States, second, be 75% owned by U.S. citizens, third, be 75% manned by a U.S. citizen crew, and fourth, fly the U.S. flag. (laughs) How (laughs) Effing applicable is that to our modern world. So let me go a step further. There are things known as VLGCs, stands for very large gas carriers. These are the big giant ships that you may see pictures of um, in the Texas ports. These things transport gas and oil to and from the United States. Okay. Okay. So I just talked about a few minutes ago. That the Sun Refinery in Philadelphia blew up within the last couple of years. That was a marketplace that in- instantly had dislocated supply. They had needs they couldn't fill because a source of their supply blew up. Well, hey – We got this stuff down here in the Gulf. Yes, there is a pipeline, the TET pipeline that connects the northeast to the Gulf Coast, but you have a logistics problem. You can only fit so much water through a garden hose. Even if you have an ocean of water, you have a logistics problem. So, hey, we could run some of these VLGCs from Houston up to the port outside Philly. Problem solved. Except you couldn't. Because of the dumbass Jones Act, those (laughs) ships didn't meet one of these four draconian requirements. So we were importing and still do import oil and gas off the northeast coast from Europe. From Europe. While we were the largest producer of oil and gas in the world, we still had to import it, some of it. Because of the dumbass Jones Act. Get rid of that stupid thing now. Is anybody that, working on
1: that? Like is that is there is there talk? There's I mean, I don't I've I've sent some
0: notes to a few politicians on it. Said please look into this. Please get rid of this. This is so stupid. It's it's, it's so archaic, we don't need it. Our industry certainly um has uh, a, a lobby and certainly making people aware of it, but I haven't seen a lot of traction on it. So this is one thing. This is not a magic pill, by the way. Okay, it's one thing. Also, our current legislators that are asking for oil and gas companies to do more to do X, to do Y, to, Z, to do Z, they're going to need to come up with some legislation that provides oil and gas companies some assurances that in five to 10 years from now, you're not going to make this 100 billion plus dollars that we're spending on increased infrastructure obsolete and uh, a, a loss for us. Okay, There's okay. going to have to be quid pro quo here.
1: Well, let me ask you this. When my dad and I were talking about this the other night, we are driving to a race together. I well, let's say in ten years, and this is just a hypothetical. I have no idea what the projections are, but whatever. Let's say in ten years, half the cars on the road are electric. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so clearly, like your supply, your, your demand in oil will be significantly down at that point. What would gas prices be like? Because in my mind, it's like if you want to drive. You know, your giant-ass diesel truck, like, you should be able to probably do it at an affordable clip at that point. If you want an EV, there'll be more infrastructure, there'll be more plugs, all that stuff. Like, it'll be better. The batteries will last longer, right? Like, it's going to be, like, that's my glass half full. Now, that doesn't factor in, like, are they how in 10 years, what does the world look like as far as, like, climate change and what are they going to tax you if you choose to drive a D, right? Like, who's in power? There's a lot of different things here. But that to me, like, that's a common sense, like, way to look at it. Like, you can't do the EV thing overnight, but in another decade, it's probably going to be a lot farther along than it is now. What does that world look like in the eyes of John Miller? To get there, it looks like a lot like the one that we're in.
0: Um, I mean, that's where the world's headed, right, wrong or indifferent. And I, listen, I'm not, I, I try to approach all of this, um, it being apolitical. um, I, I probably should have started this out by saying, you know, I've voted for a Republican in every presidential election of my life, except for the most recent one. Mm-hmm. I tend to lean more left socially, but as it relates to the economy, um, and business and regulation, I'm probably leaning more to the right if not right down the center. All right. I look at things issue to issue, even though some people say, Oh, I don't believe that, John. Well, the reason you don't believe it is because you can't do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Other people in the world can take themselves out of things and try to look at things objectively. So I think that in or, to get to that world, why are oil companies going to keep putting money into production and into other aspects? when they know that, that's, that the, the end game's already sunk in. So you said, oh, I, if I own a diesel truck, I should be able to pay lower prices for it. Should doesn't matter. It's what returned an investment. So I think that this is going to be the way that it is. It's basically the world that Europe's been dealing with for a long time. You know, their their price per gallon of gasoline has you know, been at higher than the levels that we're presently paying. So you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, 50% of the, automobile fleet, still a combustion engine fleet, but that means 50% less demand for the product. What are these oil companies going to do? Are they still going mm. to keep producing? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very delicate balance. So no, I, I don't think that, that I think there's going to be a, a long time of pain, but here to me is the biggest mistake that the, the the folks that listen, I am for a world that has less pollution, I am for cleaner and renewable energies. And I'll tell you the, the the magic bullet here in a second. I'm all for it. Again, I'll find something to do and None of it's going to happen before I probably retire from this business in five to seven years anyway. So I'm not really worried about that so much. So I'm not against it, but we as a country, or I shouldn't say we, the, the let's just say the, the green aspects of this, you know, green new deal or the. The, the carbon reduction at all costs, pick out a date on the calendar, and this is going to be the day we do it. They didn't have a plan. They set goals. They didn't have a plan. Those goals were not set with any type of bridge, plan, or transition to get them there. What do you mean, John? I'll tell you what I mean. It, it's going to take 20 to 30 years probably to get from where we are to that world where renewables are the primary source of energy, okay? Probably at least that long. In the meantime, what do we do to get to that point in time that we can make less of a polluting impact on the planet but not send the global economy into the bat bleep crazy mode that we're in? Here's what you should have done. You should have built out a nuclear power infrastructure across the globe now i get not a word people people aren't comfortable with the nuclear fission reactor that produces radioactive byproduct waste anywhere near where they live and we've all probably seen the chernobyl documentary on uh hbo so we're all scared we don't want chernobyl next to our house never mind that the russian rbmk reactors were horribly built, as we all saw, and I've read three or four different books on Chernobyl, so I happen to be a geek expert in that, too. Uh, Nuclear reactors are very, very safe. That was the only way. With our current technology, nuclear was the only way to build a bridge, because nuclear is the cleanest energy we have right now that is available at scale. Period. End of statement. But what did we do? We didn't build out more of them. We didn't make a plan to build the bridge to a carbon-free world, carbon-free emissions world. We started shutting these things down. Germany, all across Europe, Europe, some of the United States. We're going back. We're shutting down coal. We're shutting these things. We're doing all these things without a replacement energy source at scale. We don't have the ability, To do these things that these people want done, we can't do it. They're finding out now how wrong they were without building that bridge. The one thing that can save us all is nuclear fusion. I talked a few minutes ago about nuclear fission. Fission creates radioactive waste that nobody wants. You don't want a potential nuclear meltdown. I get it. Nuclear fusion is actually the process that the sun creates energy. And nuclear fusion does not have radioactive byproducts. The only problem is is science hasn't been able to harness fusion at scale. They're actually making some exciting advances within the last 12 months. Um, I think all of the world's resources that can be allocated towards nuclear fusion creation needs to happen because once nuclear fusion can be harnessed at scale fossil fuels are done we will never have it. any more wars over energy we will have a a endless supply of clean energy we won't have to use food for energy in those renewables um it's fusion but we're a ways away from there we just didn't build a bridge while we solve these problems feels, so
1: feels to me too there's a dummy looking in on this that the general you know rotten political discourse in our country the the cable news stuff um, has put us in a precarious spot here too because again like what what is what is Joe Biden supposed to do right now like we, what we need some centrist talk here like yes. some gray area some give and take and you've got the yes. extreme 20% of each side that is simply not going to be interested in that
0: that's right. You're right. You're exactly right. We need centrists in this government. We have to have them, or this this uh, democratic experiment is going to fail. May, it, it may be, yeah, that's a different podcast. But d- just, just an example, you've probably heard of the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. That was right. going to go right down t-
1: here where we
0: live. Yeah, speaking of talking points that are on cable news networks. Well, if we had the Keystone pipeline, we wouldn't be dependent. Um, on any, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be dependent just all these different things that people that don't know what they're talking about, but are only parroting things they hear on cable news networks by people saying them that also don't know what they're talking about, but they know what they're doing. They're trying to make you angry and scared the Keystone XL pipeline. All right. It's a red herring. We imported more gas, more oil from Canada in November of 2021 than we were importing in November of 2019. 2019 November, before pandemic. November of 21, still quasi in pandemic but out of scare levels of pandemic. We're importing more oil from Canada in 21 than 19 without the Keystone Pipeline. We're just doing it by rail. The big thing, and I don't disagree with um, some left-leaning politicians on this one, the, the grade of oil that we're importing from Canada is Canadian tar sands. It's highly acidic, highly acidic. It's also what the American refiners prefer. We talked about that earlier in this conversation. They want the heavy crude as their refineries are are set up for that, we're still getting it. We're just bringing it in by rail. And the acidic nature of the Canadian tar sands leads to exponentially more pipeline breakdowns and leakages. Mm -hmm. That's why it was scuttled. Did that cost several hundred potential jobs for American workers? It absolutely did. Am I sympathetic to that? Somewhat does it move the needle relative to the energy conversation we're talking about right now? Not at all. We're already getting it.
1: Okay. Uh, as far as what can be done now, you, you tell me if this would do anything. So I'm kind of watching Ukraine and it's like, man, if there could be like a truce or uh, if we can mm-hmm. get this thing mm-hmm. over with, like to, to me, the one thing America could do that could potentially help get is just keep investing in Ukraine and get this thing over with. Um, what would that do to gas prices? Like, if if we found out well, today, Jan- ju- how are we investing in Ukraine? Well, I'm, I am help them win. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, get the damn war over with. For you know, I, g- I guess at the end of the day, right, they okay. may not win the okay. war, but Let's keep arming the them more. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, we can't do anything. We can't bomb Russia. I understand all that, but what what can we do? Because that's kind of a sad deal too from a humanitarian standpoint. Like we're not it's even unbelievably talking sad. We're not even talking about the people now. It's like, like I literally just said let's get it over with so that we can have cheaper gas. Like it's a horrible thing to say, but that's where the discourse has gone on right. this. But what John, it's it's June 24th. Let's say at noon today there's an announcement that there's a ceasefire and that that war is that there's some sort of a truce has been made. What would that do to gas prices immediately? or how long would it take for it to impact things?
0: Probably would probably would see a 10 to 20% reduction in gas prices within 30 days. Um, at least, um, you know, and if for some reason that came about the end of the war came about because, um, level-headed thinking people inside the Kremlin, um, successfully performed a coup in Vladimir Putin, nor anyone with his ideology, uh, is the, the new head of things there, then then prices would fall even farther. So that is the biggest thing that can move the needle. We've seen crude oil prices and, and, and gas prices today down from their recent highs, or if not, they've leveled off. And crude oil has dropped from about $1.20 a week ago down to under $1.10, um, even down to $1.5. And that's mainly been because of the, uh, the the United States fed raising, um, raising rates to combat inflation. Nothing has changed relative to the underlying crude supply and demand fundamentals. So I don't think that that drop will be short lived. And the next, uh, the next thing geopolitically that comes up that causes friction, will just send things shooting right back up. So the biggest thing, the biggest thing that can put an end to this for right now and get us back to talking about building bridges to that carbon free world that we realistically could see in 2040 or 2050 um, is the end of uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine and the end of sanctions and going back to normal relations.
1: That's tough to do. How hopeful are you for that? <laughs> well, that's tough. Like that's kind of tough after all the war crimes and stuff. Like to just be like, Hey Russia, come to the Olympics, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to think of like what normal people see, like, you know what I mean? Like that's another yeah, political sure. deal where it's like, you have to answer to your base. Oh, now we're going to cozy back up to this guy after he just invaded a sovereign country that didn't really do anything. It's a, this is a mess, but
0: it is a mess. And, and part of the answer to that question is bluntly, guess you shouldn't have shut down all your nuclear plants and build an infrastructure that relied so much on a country that where a, uh, a de facto dictator has always been in control and has bent the rules there to be dictator for life. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Yeah. Now go get busy, start building more uh, nuclear plants so that th- th- you're not under this guy's thumb five years from now. Cause you're talking about a five year timeline.
1: What would, um, he's in the news all the time. What would Elon Musk say about that? About what? Like the, the nuclear build nuclear. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of been like in the last five years, you look at Tesla and he, he's kind of a forefront guy in these uh, conversations. What my and point being, he's fascinating to me now because like the Tesla thing, it's funny. Cause I go back home where most pretty much all of my friends are really heavily right leaning republicans very very far right and they love uh-huh. elon musk they think he's like a savior but they also would never own a tesla right if it, it, well, it's, they it's, like it's, him because he because he because he owns the libs for a week <laughs> yeah but you, you see what i'm saying like the musk is fascinating to me here because he he's creating products that it feels like democrats would be more likely to buy but he's kind of like this you know this hero on the other side, like what would he say about your, your, your nuclear stuff and just where we're at right now?
0: Um, I don't know. He's a pretty intelligent guy. So I would imagine he would understand the the realities on the ground relative to creating a cleaner burning energy source at scale relative to the available technologies that we have on this planet. Um, I would also add that, um, I, there, 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 I'm not saying he's a fraud, but I think that there are aspects of him and his success that are fraudulent. Tesla only exists because it's been propped up by subsidies. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be propped up by subsidies because it's very exciting tech and, you know, maybe the future. But still in this country, at this point in time we live in, Chris, um, 61% of electricity generation in this country comes from fossil fuels, natural gas, or coal. And so when you go plug your Tesla into your wall at night and you recharge that and you're feeling good about yourself and that's okay. You're, you're fine to do that. Mm-hmm. But 61% of that car's battery charge came from dirty old fossil fuels. And that's not changing anytime soon. By the way, the plastics that are in that Tesla that went to make that, those are derived from petrochemical processing, which comes from fossil fuels, The plastics in your house. Fossil fuels. Um, the uh, the plastic and materials in the, a lot of the wind turbines that you see, fossil fuels. The, the ecological damage that comes from mining the elements that go into batteries, lithium, ion, those things, horrible. Absolutely horrible and damaging to the economy. The amount of potential... Um, Pollution and poisoning—that's going to leach into our water tables as we um, are a consuming economy. And when we consume, we throw things away, and we don't always do throw things away the right way. You might know somebody that does that sort of stuff. Um, Those are (laughs) going to leach into the water table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Those guys, you know, dump their oil down the drain when at midnight when no one's looking because they change their own oil and you know want to dispose of it. Go out the gravel gravel road. It's right. So it's hypocrisy. Um, I think there's a great deal of hypocrisy to it, but again, um, he's not the only one and I'm not trying to single him out, but I think that Elon would see that realistically to build that bridge to that world where his products could reign supreme. We need to build and use nuclear, which is the cleanest option to get us there. And then we can scale that back as needed um until nuclear fusion comes along
1: fascinating uh you gotta go and we're at an hour right now this is probably good on gas prices for most people but this has been really is there anything we've left out that i didn't ask you or that you think Um, you should know before we wrap up here
0: other than just i want to reiterate and again Um, probably should have done this at the start. I I really do try to look, I, I think if you've listened to this entire conversation, you've heard me cast some shade on both Democrats and Republicans on hard left and hard, right. And you're correct. I have relative to this particular topic. Um, I don't think that there's been any energy president. Nobody has wave the banner and been the guy. Um, and I think that in some ways the last four presidents that we've had, certainly the last three, um, have caused unintended damage into the future. Um, you know, with Obama's repealing of the uh, exporting legislation in 2015, I don't think that it was a wrong decision at the time, but it's a problem now. So I'm not necessarily rolling him. I I think that President Trump, um, there's far too many people that have just a baseless and uneducated and uninformed notion on his impact uh, positively to gas prices relative to the negative impact it did to the economy at large. And again, the energy industry is the United States economy. President Trump made decisions and backroom secret deals um, that led to that contributed to where we are. He turned the money printer on that contributed to where we are. Joe Biden turned the money printer left the money printer on Mm -hmm. that contributed to where we are. And, um, very far, very left leaning folks relative to the green agenda. Absolutely. Uh, have some blame here. And Vladimir Putin has it. Basically the table was set for a problem like this. All it needed was something like Putin and Putin was, uh, willing to fill the void to the point, Chris, where I think he knew that. Hmm. I think he knew what would happen because he's not dumb. No. He's insane,
1: but he's not stupid. Well, part He's of what maniacal, but not stupid. My, my, like my final thought is that it's a bit terrifying to me because it just seems like we just keep kicking the can down the road and nobody will make a decision on this. And, again, it's like what is – I'll play it for both sides. What's Joe Biden supposed to do? So you want to alienate your your progressive base that you can't win without, and coddle up to oil companies is how it would look. Or if you're if it's Ron DeSantis on the right, can you see Ron DeSantis like investing in infrastructure for this carbon free world? Like no, because he's you know he's got his people, and the ultimate goal is to make prices as low as possible, no matter what. Like right now, right like it, right. I, we're, it just feels like we're just kicking the can down the road. And yeah. and that's it again, why I would scream for more centrist yep. leadership. Took the word.
0: Yeah. took the word out of my mouth. We, we can't have the extremes right now. We can't have the, 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 the extreme left branch of the democratic party saying, Nope, we can't, we can't do this. We can't do this because you know, we just, it's pollution. Sorry. That's wrong right now. We also can't have the God's gun glory on the other side of things that we've got single issues or nothing Mm -hmm. can't have that. We cannot have that. But unfortunately somehow this country has, has turned into a country that, um, is ruled by the extremist opinions. And, um, I'll stop there for now. We could talk about that for a long time. We'll save
1: that for the next pod. I have a feeling we'll be seeing That sounds, that sounds good. A lot more whatever. Yeah, let's 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 do this again soon. Love you, man. Appreciate your time. All right, love you too. Take care. That was great. I hope you guys learned from that. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with John Miller on the current energy crisis in our country as much as I did. I think we made it pretty entertaining. I hope that that's the case, and I hope that you guys will share this with your friends. Um, And if you like what we're doing here on the CW Pod, Pete, please subscribe, like, do all that good stuff. We really appreciate you sharing this so we can keep building up the audience. Appreciate your time. Have a phenomenal weekend. Take care, guys.